When aspects of a complex case exceed your personal expertise, you bring in a co-counsel to add the specific insight your firm needs for next-level results. Marketing in the legal industry requires complex strategy and insight far beyond anything you learned in law school. Want more for your law firm? Time to bring in a marketing co-counsel. Welcome to CounselCast. I'm your host, Karin Conroy, your marketing co-counsel. In every episode, I discuss marketing topics with experts who answer your questions and help your firm achieve more. Here's today's guest. Hi, I'm Scott Prime with Domain Technology Partners, and uh, looking forward to our little chat. Hi, Scott. So glad to talk to you about this stuff today. I feel like IT, security, technology, for a lot of lawyers, it's a big confusing gray box. So the question, the big question we're going to ask today, and then we have a lot of sub questions that will feed from there, but why shouldn't I DIY my IT? Why should I not just buy everything off of Amazon or go to Best Buy or Google it? Why do we need your expertise? <laughs> Probably some of the same reasons that you shouldn't DIY building a deck or... <laughs> fixing a floor yourself before you've actually done it because it's it's not as easy as it looks sometimes. And, and specifically with a lot of prospects and clients that we've brought on who have thought that in the past or maybe gone that route, it's not as easy as, like you had just said, buying you know a firewall off of Amazon, plugging it in and linking to it and hoping it does what it's supposed to do. Because inside of that firewall, there are 8,000 different things you can check to change settings, to make sure things are done a certain way. And if you just buy it and plug it in, you know, it's not like your TV, well, which may at this point just pull up every channel that you have. The firewall isn't going to do what it's supposed to do. So there's some good reasons why you shouldn't DIY a lot of things, but specifically IT and security, it is complicated. So unless you have some long-standing experience with it or you've watched a lot of YouTube and even then it's not going to help, you'll get in trouble. And that, that's, that's what it boils down to. I could watch YouTube videos all day long on how to color my hair, but I'm not going to do it well, <laughs> you know, and it's going to be a nightmare and the repercussions are not something I'm willing to live with. So what are some stories you have of like clients where, you know, it's probably where they've come to you and either they've started by DIY or they had a different firm that wasn't, you know, quite checking all the boxes or what are some good stories you have where the, the risk was not averted? <laughs> right. Yep, and a little bit like your hair. You Like you said, you may not <laughs> want to live with it, but you probably can live with your hair being a different color as long as it doesn't fall out. On the, on the IT side, there have been a few clients who have done a little bit of that same, a mix of both of those things, kind of done it themselves or had you know, a, a break-fix kind of person in there that set things up and then just walked away. And it's, you know, it's, it's everything you hear about on the news. It's hacks. It's zero-day things. It's people getting into trouble by clicking on a link in an email that they thought was from their boss, which if they looked a little more closely, instead of Yahoo, it said Yahoo with a U.com. And people click on those things because they just don't know. And it opens the door to people to get in there. And we've had a few clients who have gotten close to ransomware and things like that because they've left ports open on the back end or people have clicked on things they shouldn't have clicked on. And luckily we've gotten to them in time because we generally come in and before we even talk about the future we do an assessment and see where they're currently at because we kind of we, we have basically what we see as a minimum viability for clients if they're not at a certain level we almost just won't work with them and we have to get them to that level and we but on the other side the extreme side yeah there have some bits of people who have had intruders in their system no one's been taken for you know money or had their system shut down but their information is out there and depending on what the business is 
it's it, it gets tricky. Yeah. So what kind of things? So I know when we start with clients, we're looking at, you know, typically the website security and the potential issues and holes and everything just that surround the website and maybe their email. But what other kind of things are you looking at when you do that initial evaluation and kind of figure out where they're at, where their baseline is? What what other things are you looking at? So, yeah, the big ones are firewalls and servers. It's kind of the, the easy starting point just to see where they are. If they have a firewall in place, great. But how old yeah. is it? Is it from 2000? Because firewalls these days may last two years before they need to be kind of either reconfigured or just a new one needs to be bought. Same with servers that last a little longer. Outside of that, we look at everything from their email content, filter contouring, their web filter contouring content, and kind of see how things are being used, who's going where, what security aspects are involved in that. And then the business line applications. So they could be using QuickBooks Online or a number of random different apps that I won't go into that have access to outside servers, but it also could allow people into their systems. So we really want to get a snapshot where they are currently, how everything's being used. And then we come back and say, before we'd even consider, and it, it, it's a hard conversation sometimes because yeah. we're in sales, we want to sell things, but we want relationships. And it's hard to say before we even think about working with you, you need to get to this level or you have a server from 2003 that <laughs> yeah. just isn't going to cut it for us. And it's hard to turn away business like that, but it saves us so much time and hassle and heartache in the long run of having to fix those yeah. things once we got into it. We've learned that lesson the hard way too. I've had clients who come to me with a website that's like 12 years old. It's still HTML. And they're like, can we just, they always use the word, we just need to refresh a little bit. We just need to kind of clean it up. We don't need a whole thing. And I'm like, yeah, you do. And just refreshing something that's 12 years old. It's like trying to take an ancient car and just like fine tune the brakes a little bit when everything else is rusting and falling apart. And you're just really ignoring the, the bigger problem. I, no, I, I was going to say, I think your, your website analogy is probably spot on for the same things that we deal with. It, they may say refresh, but they really don't know how many other things are involved in what that refresh would actually be. Yeah. And at some point I use the analogy of an old house all the time. I'm like, listen, it's not in either of our best interests. First of all, this isn't like a cute old house. It has like nice little, you know, features that we want to keep. This is an old house that you walk into and the wiring and the plumbing and the walls are falling down and you're asking me to put in some nice new windows. And that's, that's not going to do you any long-term benefit we just need a bulldozer. Like we just need to start over and, you know, get you up to where things need to be. And like, let's just take a look at how much money you've spent over the last 12 years on this website. Good for you. You have kept that budget tight. Let's uh, move on and, and put some money into whatever. So I think when you talk about firewalls, that is one of those like, you know, deer in the headlights term that people, people typically, my clients anyway, typically hear about the firewalls when it's stopping them from doing something they want to do. So where is the firewall in like on the good side? Like what is it supposed to do? And how does that work in terms of like when it's set up correctly and when it's doing its job? So simply put, the firewall accomplishes two things. It checks things coming into your site or into your people from the outside, but it also checks your people on the inside going out to things. So the, the easiest way to think about it is when it's working correctly and when it's set up correctly, 
you think of it as a sand, kind of a sandbox. So someone needs to go out to a site. They'll put type in whatever site they're going to, and in milliseconds, a little sandbox is set up where the firewall goes into that site, plays around in it, see if it's, one, a good site or if it's malicious, and does all the kind of fun things. But before you even know it, comes back and says, you know, you shouldn't be at this site or this site's fine and takes you right to it without you even knowing any of that happened. So it's kind of a, a little virtual world where everything is figured out and checked out. And when it's working correctly, you know, you can set it up so that your people can't go to YouTube or can't go to Facebook, you know, all the fun stuff that people want to do. That's where people see it the most often. They're like, I'm trying to post on Instagram in the middle of my work day and man, they're, they're stopping me. Yeah. yeah. And it's not that those sites are bad. It's that's a, that's a time use issue that the company. So that's one thing. The other thing is them going to a site that they think may be perfectly fine, but it's mining information or it's allowing access to things that it shouldn't. And again, that's the stuff that your people or the employees of that company just should never even know is happening It's because it's all happening in the background and it's happening quicker than they know. Same with things coming into your company, you know, whether that's email content filtering or things like that, it's checking all those things. Like when we specifically on our devices, when we get a link from somebody, I click that link. There's a couple of things. One, it's training though that you know not to click certain things, but even if it's a good reputable contact that's sending me the link, our machine checks the link, goes in and plays in it, see if it's actually good or malicious, comes back and says everything's fine, and it takes you to that link. So those little things all happen in a split second, but they keep you from a lot of trouble. And some of that stuff, you know, it's not just you buy it from Best Buy. No, you can't buy it from Best Buy, but somewhere like that, Amazon, and you plug it in and connect your network to it and think everything's going to be fine. There are lots of boxes to check, lots of things to go through. And if you're just, like you said, if, if you're just DIYing it, you may pick up on 80 or 90% of it, and that's great. But that 10% is what's going to get you in a lot of trouble. It leaves you a huge hole. And that goes right into the other question that I wrote down is why should we should care about hackers? I have a lot of lawyers that think, oh, I'm just a little, you know, at this law firm, I'm not selling anything. I don't collect credit cards. Why would they care about my site? Why would they care about my emails? And this happens to my firms all the time. And I feel like this ties right into that firewall because it's the other side of it. It's when things go bad and their sites get hacked and there's malware on there, then all of a sudden there's this block. And so talk about for a minute about how that works and, and how if things go bad and either their firewall isn't set up right or for whatever reason someone gets in, first of all, why do people care about that getting in and then how does that work and and what what's the risk of all of that what's the impact right and you can kind of answer both in the in with this in the same way the reason it's bad is yeah maybe they're not setting up ransomware and they're not gonna you know shut down your system and say it'll be easy money ten thousand dollars to get everything back yeah there could be a lot especially legal firms there could be a lot of personally identifiable information on there that one, I'm not a lawyer, but I'm sure there's some legal aspects to letting that information out. So when you think, you know, we don't have anything that's important to people or we're not worried about losing information, one, that's probably a bad mindset. But right. two, there are a lot of ramifications to that because uh, somebody can get in and, and whether they do anything or not, you know, it's happened to a few times with some larger companies. They just sit in the system for months on end and, and either wait for something that comes up that they'd like to see or, you know, on the dark web, shop that entry to anybody that may want something to do with it. So it's 
complicated, but it's also simple in the fact that you just don't want that stuff happening, no matter right. if you think it's important or not, because maybe it's not important for you, but one of your clients might have information on there that they certainly don't want out and somebody could. Yeah. And they have a legal obligation to protect that information. So on some level, there are responsibilities just on a professional level that they need to you know, keep up with. I've actually seen clients where they've just let it go. They think their website and their email is just not a major part of their, the way they're getting business. So they don't pay attention. And all of a sudden they've got malware. I had one client where, you went to their website and it was the flag of Ukraine, like just waving, like it was this GIF or GIF, however people like to pronounce right, it. Right. I feel like I see it every single time. And just the flag of Ukraine, like basically we have taken possession of your website and they were like, uh, how does this happen? And I've had clients who do like sexual harassment law. And so they, their sites are for sure a target because they've got certain keywords in there that are being pulled by hackers. And if their sites aren't updated and locked down, then this is what I usually tell them that all of a sudden gets to their heart. Your emails are at risk. So all of a sudden your emails won't send. And then they're like, oh, that's a problem. Like if somebody, if I'm sending an email that has some sort of a, you know, legal document attached, I need that thing to go through. I need to make sure, you know, so that's usually where I kind of make sure that I'm really getting the, the importance of it across. Right. And that that goes into what we generally talk about. I mean, the one thing when you said, you know, we talked earlier about websites. Like when I'm looking at this right now, the website we're on, there's a little little lock on the top of it. And that's the SSL. Yes. And there are sites, you can go to some pretty interesting new sites, you know, not major businesses, but people that have created, they don't have that. And that's right. just, it's, it's an open door basically. But on the other hand, when you talk about emails, once we get into conversations with companies or prospects, we talk about RTO and RPO, which is recovery time objective and recovery point objective. So the first one, the time is, you know, if your system is hacked, or your system goes down, how long is it going to take or how long can't you have it be before you get back up and running? And that could be six hours. It could be two hours. It could be a minute, which is important. And then for legal firms, recovery point objective is if that happens, how much information are you willing to lose? Kind of like when you're, oh, you're, if you have an iPhone or whatever phone, when it backs up, usually we all do it at night when we're sleeping and it's backing up that day. So if anything happened, we'd lose a day. Some companies can't handle that. They probably can't handle losing an hour's worth of information, depending on what it is. So again, those are the little intricacies and things that, you know, if you're just doing it yourself, you may not think about, but those are settings and those are things you need to look at. And you see these major hacks of major companies all the time. And they are spending millions of dollars to get the data recovered. And that goes to show you what the value is of the missing data and that recovery time that you're talking about, where it is cheaper for them to spend those millions of dollars to recover it than to go any longer without it. So that alone, yeah, it's not like your website and your email are just sitting there without value. And, you know, all of a sudden when it's gone, you realize, oh my gosh, this is worth some giant number and I could have spent some smaller number to protect this initially, but now I, I now I get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, again, all these little things that you may or not you, but people may or may not think about do pop up and they're important. You know, I can, I can lose text messages from my buddies talking about when the next game night is because they'll probably send them again, but I don't want to lose, you know, my car payment information or things like that. So 
And coming back to lawyers, like they, they legally cannot lose this, their clients' data and their information. I mean, they have to be on top of those. Those are all legal documents. They have to have some kind of a security setting. I've seen articles that talk about how it's malpractice if you don't have, uh, you know, some level of security set up on you. I mean, it's like leaving your office without a lock and assuming that like the cleaning people are going to be okay. And you're just kind of leaving all of these, you know, like that's just, no one would think that's okay, but this is at a much higher level because anyone has access to your office that, you know, knows how to get in and hack a website or whatever, <laughs> hack your, your servers and stuff. Yeah. And it's it, the same old thing as, as everybody always says, you know, we and the companies always have to be on and it just takes one hacker one exactly. one time and they're in. From a website side, it's much more simple because we are constantly backing up a website. We have at least a month's worth of a website backed up at any given time on an offsite location. Whereas you're talking about like their files and all of the data on their computer that they could potentially get in command. And if that stuff is gone and they haven't backed that up, that is such a huge problem. And so that's where I think a, a lot of these hackers really get in. And that that's a whole other level of, of security that where they really need to, I think firms really need to bring in firms like yours to help them add that extra layer of security and keep it up to date. You know, that's the other thing we haven't talked about is this stuff changes every hour. I mean, there's hackers coming from, you know, everywhere and they're finding new ways in all the time. Right. Yeah. And, and it does. It's like we, I think we talked about Firewalls, you know, you used to be able to have them for five for years or so. Now, 12 months, maybe 24 wow. if you're lucky. Because it's just constantly changing and it's all artificial intelligence. And those are some of the best firewalls now that are ones that actually learn as things go on. So, yeah. I think about all the time when I'm going through TSA and, you know, we're still taking our shoes off. And I think about, you know, this is not a security process. This is a public kind of management of panic process because who thinks that that shoe bomber who, I mean, how many years ago was that? That's probably 15 or so. Why would they keep choosing the same method of attack? You know, and so same thing for these hackers. They're not going to continue to keep choosing the same method of attack. You have to continually reposition it. So these security methods that we see from the public side, from whether it's TSA or whatever, a lot of those are just trying to calm people down. I don't think they really feel like there's a massive risk that something's going to happen in someone's shoes again. They've already got that kind of nailed down. Yeah, so. and, and that works really well with, with firewalls as well because while there's still maybe someone out there who he or she can do is use a shoe bomb, there yeah. are other steps that are in place now in security that will pick that up without them having to take their, like I'm TSA pre, so I don't take my shoe off. Something else is picking that up if I've got a shoe bomb in there. So exactly, yeah. exactly. But there's other guys who are not those basic hackers that are constantly trying to find different ways in. And when you're talking about technology, it's a lot easier than, you know, something like a, a terrorist attack where, you know, you're actually physically having to figure things out versus, you know, finding hacks into servers and things like that. Yeah. And it's it's the old line about guys who are in jail. You know, all they do is sit around and think about ways to get out. And hackers, all they're, all they're doing is sitting around thinking about ways to get in. So they're going to come up with something that we haven't thought of before and we'll have to react to it. 
So to sum up the big question I get asked all the time, so why do they want to get in? I know there's some of these guys who go on the dark web and they're going to sell your information. And I had a firm a few years ago that got the facts asking for Bitcoin and all of that. And this was in relation to the website. So we were like, um, <laughs> you're okay. But aside from those guys who are asking for the Bitcoin, why do hackers continually try to, especially malware, nobody understands this. Why are they doing that? Part of it is just that. It's just the learning aspect of it and trying to figure out what works and what won't work for maybe sometimes a bigger project down the line or specifically for fun. <laughs> I know it sounds weird, but a lot of it's for fun. And then to your point earlier, they go onto the dark web and they can sell whatever they've come up with to somebody else. Whether they that was their intention or not from the beginning, that's where it ends up. And we do uh, free, well, it doesn't matter if it's free, but we do dark web scans for companies Oh, wow. And we'll, you know, we'll put a company in there, maybe or some individual email addresses. And I did it with the company I used to be with. And I had passwords that popped up on there from things I'd used a long time ago. And it's it's just constantly getting collected. And again, whether somebody sees it or uses it or not, isn't always the point. It's just out there. So the more you can protect, the better. Yeah, it's kind of like graffiti. Like you look at it and you're like, what is the point of that? And, you know, it's just sort of like, they're just criminals. Yep. <laughs> They're just out there. Like, yeah. It boils down to that. Some of them are artists, but some, most of them are just, you know, they're doing a it very for very tiny fun. percent. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that was super helpful. So I love to ask people what they are reading. I, I'm an avid reader and we're putting together a nice library on the website where we're talking about everybody's books and everything. So Scott, tell me what you're either what you're reading or a great book that you can recommend. So I think both. And I actually... I believe this is the second time I'm reading it. I hope it hasn't been more than that. But uh, <laughs> it's a book called Into Thin Air. Oh, I love that book. Yeah, about 1996 and the expedition of some of these guys to Everest. And the stuff that happened the single deadliest day on Everest. Maybe still. But it's well written. And then it's also just some very interesting stories about the people who were there, how things were done. And kind of to our point, and, and I think the way I always bring books back to what I'm doing is you don't know what you don't know. So you right. always, almost always need someone who is going to guide you. And in this case, they're Sherpas, obviously, but there are guides who went up and they were the best at what they did. And some of those guys didn't make it back either. So you never know what's out there, but you have to be able to deal with it and adapt to it and handle it. But it's, it's just a great, it's, you know, one sad, but it's, it's just a great book. So That's such a good analogy, too. I mean, I really live by that idea that I don't know what I don't know and that there's also someone, whenever I'm trying to accomplish something, whether it's even just like having someone come and clean my house or whatever it is, there's someone who probably specializes in this thing that is thinking about 10 extra things that I haven't even considered. And especially when it comes to security and these things that have all this major risk involved, it's really important to kind of consider the fact that, you know, you're going to not just not know things, but you're going to fall into some pretty big holes if you don't, you know, do this the right way. But I love kind of putting the whole Everest, like the visuals of climbing the mountain and the Sherpas kind of knowing what they know, like it just adds like such a really cool, like visual image along with all, well, all this idea of climbing the mountain of security. (laughs) Yeah. And then to take it one step too far, probably the things that can happen if you don't do what you're supposed to do and the mountain will kill you one way or the other it'll kill you so yeah i don't really have any interest in climbing mount everest like that (laughs) i feel like i hear about too many people dying that way (laughs) yeah i think i would like to do it the adventurous side 
It's the sixty thousand dollars side just to actually do it. It <laughs> yeah. hurts a little bit too, and yeah. the months that you need to not only prepare but to actually do the endeavor. So yeah, there's there's some roadblocks in the way. <laughs> yeah. So I know a lot of people that that like hike to base camp. Do you know enough about? So does this this book goes past that, right? It goes past the. Yeah, and that's again, it, it kind of all comes into what we've been talking about. Just getting to base camp sometimes is hard enough, but yeah. then they stay yeah. at base camp to acclimate. And some of them decide, I don't want to go any further. I'm good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this is my level and it's, you people are crazy. Yeah, I feel um, like that's me. Yeah, so it, it gets into a lot of that. And, you know, some of those were the lucky ones that made it. But then it's it's not only getting up to the top of Everest, which, you know, you get to stay there for 10 minutes or 15 minutes, maybe. Oh, my gosh. You got to make it all the way back down, which is almost harder sometimes. There's no elevator. No. <laughs> no elevator, no air, and just a lot of horrible conditions so sounds great sounds great give me a beach let me send my 60 grand over right now <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> awesome all right well scott thank you so much for your input i feel like it's super valuable i think with it and security there are a lot of big questions and people don't people number one think they can diy it and number two they just don't really understand it and so it's helpful to understand the risks and you know why they need to kind of bring that expert in to to really get it done right so i appreciate your time and thanks so much for being here thank you i appreciate you having me on Thank you for listening to this episode on the CouncilCast podcast. I know that by implementing what you heard today, your law firm will achieve more. Be sure to visit the website at council-cast.com for the resources mentioned on this episode. If you enjoyed the episode, I would appreciate it if you could rate and review the podcast on Apple and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. See you on the next one.